Greetings. You're listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast, and this is episode number 12. Greetings everyone and thanks for tuning in. I hope we all had a prosperous and active week focusing on living our best lives. Now you might notice that I'm just a little bit hoarse this week and that's because, would you believe it, as I touch down in Africa I bring the UK cold virus with me and so I'm just suffering at the back end of that. And so you might hear a touch of it in my voice, but I hope it doesn't spoil your listening and it certainly won't prevent me from talking because you know how I love to talk. Now, this week, I'm answering a question that came in from somebody who listens to the podcast. And the question is, I've always wanted to travel to Africa, but I don't know where to start. Can you give some pointers? Now, I promised that I wouldn't give out the person's name, so I'm not going to do that. But I hope you are listening and I hope you recognise your question. Now, this is such a really, really important question. And there are some key pieces of information that I want to pass on today whilst answering this question. And just to help you along, I've created a really lovely download that you can find the link for at the end of the show notes. And the download really just condenses the key points that I've made today. So if you want to get that, just follow the show notes and click the download link. Now, this question is such an important question because I know that when I was researching the startup of the podcast, this was one of the key things that listeners wanted me to talk about. Now, as you know, I've been traveling to Africa since 1995. Remember that trip (laughs) where I traveled to South Africa and I had like the most horrendous time in some parts? Well, that trip was in 1995. But my first real trip, which I had to organize myself, happened in 2008 on my first trip to Ghana. Now, I chose Ghana because everything I had always read about Ghana made me feel that Ghana was receptive to receiving African visitors from the West who had Western bellies and Western needs, no matter how right on African I felt. Now, we might think this is something that comes as standard, but it isn't. There are African countries that are still very much controlled by their colonial masters. And as such, those colonial masters don't want local people to be inspired or infected for that matter, by the zest for African self-determination. And therefore, they treat Africans from outside Africa really harshly, almost as if the aim is to dissuade you from visiting that country. And this is something that I've experienced myself personally. So I chose Ghana because I knew it was a friendly country. And I also knew that my lack of knowledge of African languages wouldn't matter as much because English was spoken as a strong second language. I also chose Ghana because there is a history of struggle against enslavement of Africans. And I knew, therefore, that I wouldn't need to hide my feelings when looking at some of the historical sites 
where Europeans had held my ancestors captive, waiting to sell them to their evil-minded friends and countries. So with all of those things in mind, there were some key things that I learned in booking my first ever real trip to Africa. And these are the things that I want to share with you today in answering the question about giving some pointers if you're thinking about booking your first trip or a trip to somewhere you've never been before. So here are my top five things you should be thinking about when booking that trip to Africa. So here goes. At number five is the first thing you should think of, but the last thing I thought about on my very first trip to Africa, and that is your visa. It doesn't matter if you've booked a flight. It doesn't matter if you've sorted out everything else. If you don't have a visa, you're not getting into the country. Now, it completely slipped my mind that I would need a visa to visit Ghana. Can you believe that? What on earth made me think I could just walk into the country is beyond me. But that's what I thought. I just happened to be speaking to one of my good Ghanaian friends and showing off at the same time that I was going to Ghana. And he happened to mention that it was good that I didn't get any problems with my visa. Now, you can imagine my face, my ears pricked up, visa, problems, and I got scared. This was a Thursday and I was due to fly on the Sunday. I had to fess up to him that I didn't think I needed a visa. And after being shamed by him, he agreed to help me and give me some pointers about what to do to get the visa the same day. Now, remember, it's Thursday. The consulate is only open one day and that's the Friday and I'm flying the Sunday. And I live in Yorkshire, which is about 250 miles away from the High Commission for Ghana. But I was lucky. I was able to cancel everything that following day. And I went straight to the Ghana High Commission in Belgravia in London the next day. And I went to the counter and I longed out my lip, telling them that I had an emergency engagement for which I had to be in Ghana that coming Monday. Now, the commissioners, you can understand, were not impressed, but I begged them and they agreed to clear my visa the same day, as long as I was prepared to wait about five hours. Now, normally, waiting five hours would cause argument, but on this occasion, I was pleased that I could get my visa. So I submitted my documents, and I went away. And they were not happy with me, and quite rightly too, because I was strong-arming them into giving me this visa and telling them I had some important meetings to attend in Ghana, which I did. But nevertheless, I should have known that I couldn't just walk into this country. I mean, who did I think I was? So the moral of the story is that you need to make sure that if you require a visa to go to the African country of your choice, that you apply for that visa in good time. You'll have to leave your passport at the consulate so the visa can be stuck in your passport and then stamped. So make sure you apply for your visa in good time before you travel so you have time to get your documents back. I've known people not receive their passport back in good time to travel and then coming close to missing their flights as they wait for passports to drop in the post 
on the day before or the same day as their flights. So don't make that mistake. Make sure if you require a visa and particularly if you have to send off for that visa in the post, make sure you do that in good time. Now, some African countries allow you to purchase visa on arrival, meaning that you arrive in that country and you buy your visa in that country. Of the countries I visited, Kenya, Ethiopia, Zimbabwe and Malawi allow you to do this. Ghana does not. But Ghana has just waived all visa requirements for people holding a Jamaican passport. So if you have a Jamaican passport, you no longer need a visa to enter Ghana. You are so lucky. Another thing to remember is that if you're purchasing a visa on arrival, make sure you have dollars with you. Lots of countries such as those I mentioned and others like Kenya like you to buy your visa in dollars. If you don't have dollars, the expectation is that you have to buy the dollars in the airport, which means joining another queue to buy dollars and then rejoining your original immigration queue to get your visa. And all of that can add as much as an hour to an hour and a half to your already long journey. And that will surely test your patience. So make sure that if you're traveling to a country where you can get a visa on arrival in that country, that you get dollars before you travel so that you can just pay for it straight away and then get yourself through immigration. Bear in mind also that you'll pay more if you get your visa on arrival and sometimes it can be as 10 20 or 30 percent more for that visa than if you had got the visa before you traveled. So if you're planning your first trip to Africa or your next trip to Africa, my advice is to get your visa before you travel and make sure you leave enough time to get the visa in good time before you have to catch your flight. When you're researching your visa requirements on the site of the country's high commission, on the same page, you're likely to see health visa requirements. Now, why is this important? Some countries like Mozambique will not allow you to enter that country unless you can prove you have a valid yellow fever vaccination passport. When you have this vaccination, you're given a kind of vaccination document that looks like a tiny yellow passport thing and it has the details of where when and how long it is since you had your vaccination and when your vaccination expires this is really important because they can turn you away without that document now a yellow fever certificate is less likely to matter if you're traveling from the uk America or any other northern hemispheric country because they're not traditional yellow fever hotspots. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because lots of people like to travel to one or maybe two African countries because it's so easy to travel around Africa, particularly with an airline like Ethiopia Airways. And also it's easy to travel by road. And what you need to remember 
is that if you're passing through a country like Mozambique, for example, they will expect you to evidence that you have had a yellow fever vaccination and in some cases even a rabies vaccination. So we just need to remember that if you're just going to one country and they don't require this document and you don't intend to travel anywhere, it's okay. But what generally tends to happen is that you get to that country and suddenly a trip might be organised to a neighbouring country, the border for which might only be a few kilometres away. But in going to that country, you might need a yellow fever certificate. So make sure you check the health entry requirements for the country you want to visit. And whilst you're there, check whether you will need any antimalarials for that country. For example, I don't need antimalarials when I'm traveling to Shashamani in Ethiopia, but I do need them whenever I'm traveling to Malawi. If you do need antimalarials, Pick the one which is best for you and don't try and style it out as if our English blood or our American blood is somehow immune to mosquitoes. It's not. Also, the cheapest way to get your antimalarials is to go via your GP who will likely have to order them in. So leave enough time to get your antimalarials delivered to your GP surgery. Now, both the vaccination and the antimalarials can be costly. About 60 to 80 pounds for the vaccination in the UK or between 150 and 350 dollars at certain travel clinics in the USA. And then on top of that, you've got 185 dollars or £140 for a private supply of 24 antimalarial tablets. The most popular ones of those being Malarone. That's spelled M-A-L-A-R-O-N-E. And those 24 tablets is just one week's supply, or $185 for 24 tablets. And the reason it's only a week supply is that you have to take the tablets daily for a week before you travel. Then you take them every day you're in the malaria zone in the respective African country you're visiting. And then you have to take the tablets for a week after you return to your Western country. It's expensive. If you're like me, I went to Ghana for six weeks, six weeks with a yellow fever, six weeks of anti-malarials. It added close to £400 to my travel expenses. And I hadn't budgeted for that. So I'm telling you now, so you can do the research and factor that in. Now remember, you can reduce the costs for both of these things if you go via your GP. But if you're like me, and you didn't do any research beforehand, and you just happened to be talking to people who told you you needed this, then you have to go private. And there are agencies on the high street where you can walk in, see a private doctor, and get both of these things. But it is more expensive. So don't get shocked out like I did when I had to pay all of this money for health documents and tablets. 
I wasn't best pleased because together this really bumped up the cost of my trip to Ghana. Now, at the same time, I asked myself, are people making money from our visit to hot countries? And my answer was, be sure that they are. But if we factor these costs in early, we won't have any nasty surprises that put us off travelling to Africa and travelling safely. Our blood has been significantly weakened by our stay in these Western countries. And the mosquitoes are sitting at the airport with a knife and fork waiting for you and me to get off that plane. Because we are the gourmet meal. So don't let it happen to you. At number four, make sure you know the currency of the country. There are some African currencies which are not sold outside of their respective countries. I seem to have travelled to them all. The Ethiopian burr is not sold outside the country. The Malawian kwacha is not sold outside the country. The Ghanaian sidi is not sold outside the country. And the Zimbabwean bond is also not sold outside the country. So if you're planning to travel to any of these countries, then you have to get your currency when you arrive in that country. There are countries that do have currencies that you can get before you travel. South Africa, obviously, the Rand. Then you've got Kenya with the Kenyan shilling. You've got Kemet or Egypt, where you'll need the Egyptian pound. And then Mauritius, which has the Mauritian rupee, or the Seychelles, which has the Seychellois rupee, or Zambia, where you'll need the Zambian kwacha. These are currencies you are most likely to find outside the country and which you can get before you travel. If you have to purchase your currency in the country, it's best to check the exchange rates before you travel. You can do this online or you can use one of a number of currency apps that you can download to your smart device. It's better to check the exchange rate before you travel because when you arrive in the country, sometimes the best rates are available in your arrival airport. For example, this is how I generally buy Ethiopian beer, because I find the exchange rate slightly better than what's available at the bank. Also, if there's a better exchange rate at the airport, once you leave the airport, that exchange rate is no longer available to you, so it's best to check. The other way to get local currency is to get it at a local bank once you arrive and settle in the country. To do this, you'll need your passport and sometimes your travel ticket. If you have no choice, it's better to get local currency at a bank rather than a local Forex bureau, if only because you get a better service and a better rate at the bank. If you're desperate for cash, however, you can get cash exchange with local exchanges on the local streets. But you have to take care and only exchange with the help of someone who is local, whom you trust. Sometimes you can get better rates on the street than you can get in the banks, but you must always check first. My advice, if you're not sure about the rates, exchange a small amount of money at the airport and then another small amount at the bank, enough to pay for essentials. And then once you've done your local research, 
then change the bulk of your money. But recognise that if you've missed the airport rates, you can't get those rates again. At number three is booking your flight. This may seem simple, but the simple truth is you get what you pay for. Cheaper flights usually reduce their flight frills to make more profit. It is already a given that most airlines to African countries take long in their flight times because there is usually a stopover somewhere. However, it's the length of the stopover that can determine the cost of your flight. One of the most expensive ways to travel is with Ethiopian Airways. But with this airline, you totally get what you pay for. And you'll know from podcast two that as expensive as this airline is, this is my airline of choice. And the reasons for that are number one, their journey times are much shorter than other flight providers Ethiopia tends to have much shorter stayovers because they own the most important flight hub in Africa, which is Bole Airport in Addis Ababa. So, for example, when I'm traveling home to Malawi, I travel with Ethiopian Airways because this route has the shortest stopover of three hours between arriving at Addis Ababa Airport and boarding my flight to Chileka Airport in southern Malawi. However, if you fly on specific days, this can mean that your flight can be longer because Ethiopia relies on other partner fleets to deliver their services on quieter days. So if you travel out of the UK on a Sunday, for example, you could find yourself waiting over 20 hours in an airport in Kenya or South Africa whilst you wait for a connecting flight to Malawi. Other airlines like Kenya Airways have long stopovers of as much as 22, 23 hours as a rule while you're waiting in the airport for connecting flights, no matter what day you travel. The second reason I prefer to travel Ethiopian Airways is because of the weight allowance. This is the baggage allowance. If you're planning to travel with this airline, my advice would be to join their Star Alliance Club immediately. You can do this online or via the Ethiopian Airways app. The reason for this is because you can collect air miles, which are not really much use unless you plan to make more than four flights of over 8,000 miles each flight per year. But the main reason for joining Star Alliance is because once you become a member, you are immediately entitled to an extra five kilos of weight on top of the two 23 kilogram suitcases you're allowed to carry. So in effect, you get one suitcase at 23 kilos, another suitcase at 28 kilos, and then you have a further nine kilos of hand luggage that you can use. So altogether, you can carry 60 kilos of luggage. That's huge. When you set this against what everyone else is offering, this is massive and you can carry a lot of things. I know people who carry one suitcase of clothes for themselves and fill their second suitcase with charity donations for schools and orphanages. There is so much you can do with 60 kilos. So when you're booking your flight, the key things to remember are firstly, how long are you prepared to wait for your connecting flight to your chosen African country? And the second thing is the weight allowance. Now, 
I was asked about whether there are direct flights to certain African countries, and there are. For example, you can get a direct flight to Kenya if you're quick and you have the money to pay an increased cost for this type of flight. A direct flight can add as much as £250 to the cost of your ticket. The average price of a ticket to an African country can vary depending on the season. Flights to Africa are just like flights to the Caribbean, let me tell you. They are affected by school holidays. You can find that travelling in the wrong season, such as June to early September, can add as much as £700 to your ticket. That's eye-watering. And that kind of price can take the price of a ticket to Malawi, for example, to about £1,400 if you travel in July. At first, I found the flights really expensive. But when I began to use my baggage allowance, man, I was bringing all kinds of things to Malawi with my bad self. And I could really see the cost and the benefits of paying for that ticket. So thinking of travelling to an African country, check your flight costs from now and plan ahead. Because the earlier you book your ticket, the cheaper you book your ticket. And also check your baggage allowance. Don't be overweight because for every kilo you are overweight, you can be charged as much as £10 or $10, whichever currency they're charging in. And if you're five or six kilos over, it might not seem like a lot, but it can soon add up if you're charged for that excess baggage. At number two, know where you're going, please, Asha. Most airports in African countries tend to be in the capital city of the country for obvious reasons. But where you are staying might be hundreds of kilometres away and might mean you have to spend a night in the capital before travelling to your final destination the next day, Asha. We've been taught that Africa is the size of a peanut compared to other Western countries. And that's to deliberately make us believe that Africa is small and insignificant and therefore Africans are small and therefore insignificant. But nothing, and I mean nothing, could be further from the truth. Malawi is one of the smallest countries in Africa, but it's still larger than the UK, whilst Ethiopia one of the sort of middle-sized countries in Africa is five times bigger than the UK. And there are 54 countries in Africa. So with my Western brain, I'm thinking, okay, I'm flying to Ethiopia. I'm going to Shashamani, arriving in Addis Ababa, and then go straight to Shashamani. It's a bit like arriving in London and then going to Durham. You can do that in the same day. But that isn't what happened. I arrived in Addis Ababa and when I tried to get to Shashamani, it was far, almost 300 kilometres far. And what happened is that all my plans were disrupted because I thought that I would be arriving in Shashamani the same day. But I couldn't because it was just too far. So it pays to take time to plan where you are going so that you factor in enough time to get to your final destination. Don't do what I did with my Western brain. Again, when I first arrived in Ghana, I knew I was staying in Twifo Hamang, which on the map looked down the road from Accra Airport. 
I can picture the line on the map now and it looks short, like the tube line from King's Cross to Victoria. But when I arrived in Ghana, I called my friend and I asked him where he was as I was waiting. And if you know me, I like people to be on time. And I got the shock of my life when he told me that they set off from since morning and still have 50 kilometres to go before getting to me. Eh? I said, 50 kilometres, where are you coming from? And I remember him saying that we were staying close to 230 kilometres away from the airport, which on African roads can sometimes feel like double the distance because the roads can add hours to the journey. And for me to get to Twifo Hamang was a four and a half hour car journey. But I was lucky because at least I had a car coming for me. If I had discovered this after landing at the airport, I would have had to spend the night in Accra before tackling the journey the next day. So think on and check your plans about where you think you are going. And finally, at number one, bring something to do. People in Africa have no welfare states or everyone is always working or working a hustle to live. People will not always have the time to be around us and entertain us. Research shows that people from the West have the highest demand for stimulus and entertainment wherever we go in the world. And the provision of that stimulus in various countries and resorts around the world in part fuels the multi-billion dollar travel and tourism industry. To give you an idea of the amounts involved, just looking at one area, like shopping whilst on holiday, that's shopping for gifts, souvenirs, clothing and things like that. KPMG, an auditing company, estimates that for 2018, holidaymakers spent over $98 billion in that year, just shopping, whilst the same holidaymaker spent almost a hundred billion dollars on activities and excursions whilst on holiday. These are huge amounts, and what these amounts tell us is that we are people who expect to be stimulated whilst we're on holiday. Now, when you go to Africa, African people kind of look at you as if to say, like, where are you going? Why can't you rest? Why do you have to walk so fast? Why do you always need to be doing something? Now, if you listen to podcast eight, in which I discuss the emotional reasons why black people spend money today, I extend that thinking to include us spending money on holidays and whilst on holiday, buying those good feelings so unless you're going to Africa via an organised tour of an African country where this kind of external stimulus is likely to be laid on by your organisers, then bring something meaningful to do to fill your time if you are planning to just go to Africa. Because people will not have the time to entertain you and take you out and take you shopping. Some people don't even go into their malls because there's nothing in there for them. I would even encourage you to go as far as to bring something groundbreaking for you to do. Something which if you do will give you a major sense of achievement. I know that when I visited Africa for the first time, I bought the scraps of what was my first employment rights handbook for which I wrote the outline when I was in Ghana. It was amazing. 
I actually got free time. Time when I didn't have to think or worry about anything. So whilst my hosts were busy working on their farms and in their various jobs, I wrote my book. And I'm telling you, it was a huge sense of achievement to do this. To me, I did something that I would never have been able to achieve in the UK in the time it took me to complete this task in Ghana. Why? Because I didn't have the headspace to think clearly enough in the UK. So what I managed to do was both have a wonderful first trip to Africa and complete a major piece of work, which I knew I would have struggled to do had I tried to do it in my normal Western environment. Never could I have thought that this would be possible. And this is what makes me say that when you are planning your trip to Africa, especially if it's your first trip and you're not going on an organised tour of an African country, then bring something meaningful to do. Because I guarantee you, if you're motivated to achieve something out of your trip, you'll find the time to complete the key thing you want to achieve. That book you wanted to read or write, that website you wanted to build, the sales funnel you want to set up, the list is endless. Now, obviously, if you're bringing something to do, then be sure to bring your laptop or the equipment you will need. And also bring a universal plug that will fit the sockets of any country except possibly the old sockets of South Africa, which are horrible. I posted a picture of the plug end of a South African kettle, which is almost unusable except in South Africa. Look at the picture and look at the big plug ends that you see. Big silver round things that don't fit in any socket anywhere in the world except in South Africa. I am yet to find an adapter that fits into these plug ends. And I always end up having to buy a more expensive South African adapter in the country itself. So bear this in mind when you're traveling and check the plug end you will need that will help you to adapt the device to the sockets of the African country you're visiting. And if you do that, you won't face any surprises. You'll arrive there, you pull out your universal plug and then you play around with it and you find the right bit that fits in the socket and you push it in. What I'll do is I'll post a picture of the plug that I use and I take this plug everywhere I go in the world because it adapts to all plugs anywhere in the world except South Africa. And there you have it. My top five most important things you need to do when planning your trip to Africa. Now, remember, these are my top five. Yours might be different. And if they are, I would love to hear them. Why not post your top five on my Facebook or Instagram page? Let's see what you come up with. Whilst I'm in Africa, if you post them, I'll mention some of them in the podcasts. So if you're posting anything, please let me know if you'd like your name mentioned on the podcast. Because me, I'll out you on the podcast unless you tell me that you don't want your name mentioned. OK. On a final note, don't forget to download the freebie that accompanies this episode. And as an extra treat, I've posted some beautiful African sunset pictures on the Facebook page. So enjoy. 
And with that, we've come to the end of our session. And as always, it's been a pleasure. Before I go, lots of people have been asking about the webinar and when it's likely to be repeated. So all I can say is don't worry. The webinar will be repeated later in the year and nearer the time I'll put an alert on social media so you have time to book on the Seven Passions Masterclass. Remember, if you love what you hear, leave me a review wherever you're listening to the podcast and remember to download your freebie and take a look at the African sunsets that I posted on Facebook. I assure you, you won't be disappointed. They're absolutely stunning. So once again, you've been listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast. Thanks for listening. My name is Dr. Asher and I'm out. <laughs>